0: Welcome to Every Dimension. This podcast is created for those buying and selling design. Our aim is to explore how to demand more from design and how to deliver it, as we all need to keep growing brands when tomorrow's challenges and opportunities come in Every Dimension. Every Dimension is created by the Agency Path and hosted by me, a founder, Thomas Herman. Welcome to another edition of Every Dimension, demand more from design. This time, we are joined by Elsie Rutherford and Dominika Minerovic. Hello, Elsie, hello, Dominika. Hello.
1: hello. Hi. <laughs> um,
0: Elsie and Dominika are founders of Bybee Beauty, uh, which can be found at byb.com that's b-y-b-i.com. Um, and Elsie and Dominika also run a blog, podcast in the community at cleanbeautyinsiders.com and previously to that they were in sales and media roles for some of the big tech giants. So um, Elsie and Dominica, before we get into the questions um, I've got some uh, sort of A, A, B style kind of either or kind of questions. Never done it with two guests before, not sure how this is going to go <laughs> but perhaps we'll find out kind of uh, if great minds think alike or not. Um, but yeah, just just shout either I um, for for each of you um, coffee or tea. Elsie.
1: I'm gonna go tea.
0: Cool. Dominica?
1: Coffee for me.
0: Uh, there you go. See so already opposites attracting. Elsie, <laughs> <LC, laughs> cheese or chocolate? <laughs> uh,
1: chocolate. Nice. Dominica. Chocolate as well.
0: Nice. Good one. Good one. Mm-hmm. Okay, beer or wine? Wine. Wine. Wine, please. (laughs) Good. Um, Mountains or beach, Elsie?
1: Oh, this is really tricky. Um, I'll go mountains.
0: Okay. And Dominica?
1: (laughs) Um, I'll go beach.
0: Oh, nice. (laughs) Complimentary. (laughs) And uh, night out or night in, Elsie?
1: night in (laughs) good 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 definitely night in for me
0: (laughs) (laughs) is that always or just recently
2: (laughs) i'd say at least for the last few years Yeah, yeah, it's been a consistent night in
0: for us yeah no it's always nice to have a night in um and then slightly topical bologna or london
1: oh it's got to be london Yeah. yeah i just it's just such a great city bologna was lovely yeah
0: but yeah dominica did you yeah did you yeah the same same just for reference yeah. listeners um we were all at cosmo prof um which was a big uh beauty conference in bologna last week so uh yeah we had uh, some time in the lovely italian city but um it was obviously all nice to come home to london uh in the end Um uh, and last but not least sustainable or responsible elsie responsible
1: thomas
0: <laughs> good stuff good stuff <laughs> Dominica you must agree
1: yes definitely
0: good stuff yeah it's a trick question at the end there Um, well thanks for that hopefully we're all warmed up
1: yeah ready Uh, for ready for the the real questions now
0: (laughs) hopefully they're not they're not very difficult either Um, so yeah we're always really interested to learn how um, our guests kind of started out on their career um, sort of first jobs but if possible can you go all the way back to your very very first job um, and uh, tell us what you did
1: Yes. My very 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 first job was because you're not allowed to work in the UK under 16 um but you know 14 year old me was keen on grinding for a bit of additional pocket money. Um my mum used to run a shop um in Bath called the Dress Up Shop which was we basically hosted cri- uh, kids parties um where they could come and like rent our dress up stuff. So I would dress up in a princess outfit and like facilitate these um for I negotiated like a pretty good hourly rate from my mum so um I would do spend my Saturday doing that before I was allowed to get like an official job age 16 so that that's like the very very beginning
0: nice nice the entrepreneur coming out early early years brilliant
1: yeah coming out in a in a princess dress
0: (laughs) Brilliant, Dominique's
1: I think my my earliest
2: job was Yeah, probably pre-uni when I worked in a bar in Paris, but (laughs) I'd say my career really took off when I uh, took a job in a a call centre in Leeds um, while I was doing my undergrad, uh, selling credit checking software to small businesses, um, which I really excelled at. So it was definitely my strong pivot into sales at that point at the tender age of 18.
0: Good stuff, good stuff. You had a good phone uh uh patter did you I did yeah, I
2: had a good foreign manner and a strong sales acumen
0: <laughs> great great, great, and you you both said to me previously that you've sort of st- started out in kind of sales roles, which has kind of been pretty good experience and grounding for what you do now.
1: Yeah I mean you name it between us we've sold it um, and they, it started it started less glamorous as Dominica said mainly call centers subscriptions I was selling coffee machines at one point um, yeah. but we we sort of like gained points in credibility of the services that we were selling as we went through our career obviously peaking at Bybee skincare products because yeah you yeah. can't get any more premium than that but
0: <laughs> absolutely <Yeah. laughs> and what do you think the skills are that you kind of pick up on the way I guess firstly is a tough skin isn't it you know having to deal with rejection and people not not wanting to talk to you that kind of stuff
2: I don't know. I would say the hardest part of um, particularly around Bybee is yeah obviously you get um, a lot of rejection but I think just continuing to have passion in every pitch (laughs) Um, regardless of who that pitch is to because as Elsie said we pitch um and sell to everyone in any kind of capacity at Bybee but um yeah over the years we have faced a lot of rejection but also some amazing amazing yeses and ultimately it's the yeses that count so, yeah good good moral and passion i would say is key to to pursuing that
0: yeah absolutely i mean i work in in sales and, and marketing for our agency and i think yeah it's the same isn't it it's, it's a tough job but it's very rewarding when when you make that connection with someone that really wants your product or service and that's i think always the, the great payoff isn't it um great thanks for that so um can you give us a, an idea of how you how you two met? You've obviously started off in similar ways and did you did you somehow meet at a fortuitous moment and, and um, yeah, how did that happen?
1: we did yeah um so we actually met at work in a sales role um so yeah good context there um we both joined the same company at the same time and we were doing basically the same role but on different patches of clients yep. um so we were selling uh, we were in media ad sales selling um pre-roll which is the video that runs before that piece of video content that you want to watch mm-hmm. and at that time it was non-skippable just highly intrusive the type of ad that will just really annoy you like you've got to sit and wait for it wait for those 30 seconds to end before yeah. um your content starts yeah. um but we were selling into big uk media agencies basically so some pretty big clients between us yeah. um and yeah we just hit it off straight away we were sort of like sat opposite each other um and you know we Quite quickly became the sort of office BFFs, and we'd confide in each other and moan about the office with each other. But also, you know, quickly found kind of level footing on the types of interests that we had in common, and mm. um, yeah, that's that sort of like sparked the friendship. And I guess more importantly, the kind of like dual respect of being colleagues and understanding each other's work ethics that then went on to be quite an important foundation to build a um, co-founder relationship on.
0: Yeah, brilliant. And and so. Um that's how you guys met so how, how did that be- turn into a, a business that you run together what was the what was the moment you decided to 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 start working together and was it was it always going to be beauty or could it have been something else
2: yeah i think it could have been anything in the kind of wellness space we really bonded over um yeah a kind of shared love of health fitness um nutrition wellness it it kind of was a big trend at that time in the UK and um, yeah we were kind of heavily influenced by these kind of wellness concepts that hadn't necessarily been mainstream at that time. Um, So when I talk about wellness concepts I mean obviously thinking about different ways to exercise and you know yoga became very popular and all sorts of things like that. And then, you know, veganism just suddenly became really cool. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um,
2: and you know, taking supplements and protein powders and understanding what spirulina was, and you know, yeah. all of these things. And I think we were just very invested in the movement. Yep. Um, and we did a lot of those things together. So we had kind of built this passion for wellness mm-hmm. um really as, as an element of our friendship, um, working kind of day in and day out um yeah, yeah. beside yeah. each other. And then I guess our light bulb moment for actually starting our content platform Clean Beauty Insiders was we were seeing a lot of um, traction you know in food and I guess using food as a way to to create content by people that hadn't necessarily had a lot of expertise in that arena but shared a passion for it Um, and we were both really passionate about beauty so we thought could we combine our two loves and start creating content around kind of wellness inspired beauty um, which at the time, you know, not many people were doing, and and we were able to gather a bit of momentum because we were also doing it in a way that felt quite, you know, modern and fresh, rather than too alternative and and kind of, yeah, you know, leaning into um, really kind of like mainstream language and and having a bit of humor around it, so. Mm. yeah it worked really well for us and we had a lot of fun creating content it was mainly recipes um using food to create skincare but we did loads of different stuff um and we hosted events and workshops and just became really immersed in the industry so that was I guess the the point where we created the business in 2015 and um it was centered around, yeah, kind of what we referred to back then as clean beauty, obviously, um, in the name, but what then became something very different um, because also the meaning of clean beauty took a very different kind of route than we had anticipated as well. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was very much um, a kind of passion project of Elsie and I's at the start.
0: Okay, yeah, and was was the idea there to sort of create a content platform and then monetize the content was that the business idea or was it kind of just to explore the category and kind of get get you know kind of look for opportunities beyond that
1: yeah I think there was definitely in the early stages we were thinking you know could this be the revenue driver um and the events as well and actually we were reminiscing about this the other day we we kind of built up this um sort of clean beauty mini expo which um was a sort of consumer facing thing in London and um this was all alongside our day jobs, by the way, we hadn't, we hadn't quit our job at this point. I don't quite know how we had the energy, but, um, and we, somebody actually offered to buy that at one point. So at one point that we really were thinking like, Oh, okay. Is it events and content? Like, Mm. you know, is it like rather than product, but, um, and yeah, similarly, we were building up, I guess we were kind of doing a s- small level sort of in, what we would now call influencing, you know, brands were contacting us, um, they wanted to be on the podcast, they wanted to us to like review their products and stuff. So that was definitely like building up. But I would say that um, we both could just see such a clear gap for why we started Bybee. And we just kept coming back to the fact that a brand didn't currently exist. So it felt a bit obvious to do to go down the product route and it also felt um, harder because it's like you know creating a consumer brand with physical product is is really tricky Um, but I think like we just felt really clear that there was a a wide open gap for what we wanted to create and doing all of this stuff you know running events doing the having the book doing doing the content just basically gave us um, the confidence that there was an appetite for what, what we wanted to, to create because we were speaking to potential customers day in, day out. You know, We were meeting them in real life a lot of the time when we were running these events and we were just having conversations about beauty and natural beauty and you know, what they thought about where the industry was and what brands they were using. And we were hearing live weekly that there weren't brands catering for everything that they wanted. You know, they were moving. They wanted to buy in a conscious way. They wanted ethics to be part of the brands they were buying into, but they wanted it to feel fresh and interesting and modern. They didn't want to compromise on the product performance. They still wanted to be able to go to, you know, Selfridges as much as a Holland and Barrett to pick it up. You know, they didn't want to be just pushed into purchasing in the health food stores, you know. So I think like it just kept hammering home the fact that, what we were onto to was something quite special and actually developing a product brand could probably speak to that audience in a way that continuing to create content probably wouldn't. So that was sort of why we ended up coming up with the idea of Bybee and, and pursuing that seriously.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. And I, I, I first met Elsie um, and um, uh, at a conference called um, Beauty Trends um, back in 2022 um, to date check that. I also met um, our first podcast guest which is Atoshi Atoshi George who's on the first episode of Every Dimension um and that she's head of science um at L'Oreal um but yeah that was the day that I kind of kind of um met Bybie and, and and you kind of told me the story and I was really impressed you know with the history of it but for our listeners now can you kind of give us an introduction to 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 Bybee, the brand and and the the, the 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 reason it exists and the kind of objective for it
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we created Bybee in 2017, really, because we were wholly sold on using natural, pure, unprocessed ingredients to nourish our skin. And we were seeing amazing results. Um, So our skin was firmer, more glowing, more healthy, um, and all around in in just much better condition after we had switched to using more pure, um, natural ingredients in our routines. Um, And a lot of those you know, ingredients were food derived and, you know, often kind of whipped up in our kitchen. And it's definitely not um, (laughs) necessarily the route that we wanted to follow, but we thought, can we kind of encapsulate this concept and make it more mainstream and kind of use that as the anchor for our formulations? Um, So we created Bybee's. Yeah, I guess really to bring, you know, efficacy from naturals into the mainstream market. But what was really important to us is that it didn't feel too natural because our customer, um, we still wanted them to feel like they were buying a mainstream skincare brand um, and for them not to have to compromise on where they bought it, how they bought it or their experience of it. So the premise behind Bybee was always marrying the two of being so really aesthetic, mainstream skincare brand but having built you know having been built on really really strong ethics um and we kind of sell product and performance first and efficacy second uh sorry ethics second and it's not to say that ethics aren't not as important as efficacy but for us in order to reach that mainstream audience you know we we need to push the product performance first and foremost um So, yeah, it's been, you know, really successful since we launched it. Um, It's always been really well received, but I think actually coming into 2023, the brand um, has never been more relevant and excited to see how the next couple of years kind of unfold, because I think a lot of the concepts that we've been talking about, about skin nutrition and nourishing your skin in the same way that you do your body, and then also our um, commitment to responsibility. I think, yeah, we're excited to see how, yeah, how the brand continues to grow and resonate with with new customers.
0: Yeah, great, great. So yeah, that's, that's kind of um, uh, the, the expression that Elsie um, just made. Um, the difference between the natural product story uh, that you might think would be retailed through the likes of Holland and Barrett, and the kind of experience of buying a lovely premium uh, beauty product through Selfridges—that that's sort of the the gap you found in the market, or that's kind of the 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 way to kind of see what you're kind of trying to achieve—is that the 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 lovely products that you would normally go and find in Holland Holland and Barrett, but that experience of buying a premium. Brand through you know other retailers is that is that fair?
1: Yeah, I think so. And obviously, like it's not exclusive to Selfridges, but you know, to like contextualize the the kind of brand. So this is like six seven years ago, right? And yeah. the kind of brands that were coming to market with the likes of the Ordinary, Glossier, like some really like big trailblazers in the indie. They were indie at that point. I don't know yeah. if we'd still call them indie, but um in the in on the indie scene that were completely shaking up the industry because we just hadn't seen anything like it um yep. so i think it was you know i guess like regardless of where you purchased the product it was more about um bringing something to the consumer that felt really fresh and interesting um and you know i guess from a design perspective you know, still felt really fun and was an enjoyable moment that you could have on your bathroom shelf. And, um, that just didn't exist in the natural space. And that was mainly because that had been driven by sort of minimalism and, um, wanting to signal natural, which is fine. That makes sense, right? If you're a natural brand, like why would you not signal natural? Like you want people to believe that you're natural. And, you know, I'm sure we'll come on to this later. That is one of the challenges that we face, yeah. but it's just like, that doesn't then speak to me who also wants to know that it's natural, but I also then want to know that I'm going to get like glowing, you know, dewy, firm skin from it. And mm. the beauty industry signals that through other cues in packaging and design. So we just wanted to bring those two things together. um so that the brand could exist in more spaces both in terms of distribution but i guess exist on more people's bathroom shelf you know bring Mm it to the mass like make natural not feel as um niche i guess
0: yeah yeah brilliant brilliant and um you know dominica said quite clearly you know that um efficacy is the kind of primary aim but then ethics kind of sit quite closely behind that And and i think when i met um elsie and heard her speak at um uh, beautytrendsconference.com I was really impressed by your approach to that and the way you expressed um, the the approach to ethics and the kind of idea that sustainability is something that we, everyone seems to be talking about but it's quite a kind of big um, scary, unachievable term in a way and, and your approach was much more accessible and realistic and you called it responsible or, or being more uh, responsibility um, I thought that was fantastic and I thought it was a really, you know, um, uh, fresh and, and and realistic way to approach this. Um, could you could you talk to that for the listeners um, briefly and just kind of give us your kind of perspective and your approach there, please?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think for us, you know, we did use the term sustainability and sometimes still do because people then just understand what you're talking about. (laughs) Um, As soon as you start to use more ambiguous or like lesser well-known terms, then the message can get diluted. But I think in terms of sustainability, I think we just have to be honest in the fact that we are a consumer brand that still creates product and ships around the world. So to claim to be inherently sustainable is actually you know, not entirely representative of the truth and probably just gives us more credit than we deserve um, because at the day we still have a footprint, we still create waste and there's very little that you can do about that in a truly holistic sense. You can obviously do things better and make better choices, but to completely eradicate your footprint as a consumer brand is near enough to impossible. Um, And I think just being honest about that Um, is important because then it doesn't mislead consumers into thinking that by buying your products they're kind of saving the planet which inherently consumerism can't solve the climate crisis right buying more is not going to get us out of the current issue so I think it's just very complex to start using the word sustainability in relation to consumer products yep. so we made quite a conscious shift to find a different word still trying to explain what we do because we do a lot and we want credit for that and it's not to say that we don't want anyone to know what our efforts are but to phrase it in a way that felt more appropriate um and more aligned with our brand values which is very much around you know transparency and positivity so Responsibility for us, I think, is nuanced enough. So it gives an indication of what our mentality is, i.e., you know, we try and act and behave responsibly as a brand. But it also quite nicely explains the things that we do around production and sourcing. Um, So, yes, we try to be uh, sustainable and there are sustainable practices within our supply chain. However, as a brand, we aim to act responsibly and where we're given a choice and we know that one choice is better than the other, that we commit to taking the better route. Um, And that is a responsible choice. So, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. And, you know, you're seeing a lot of backlash now and a lot of, you know, criticism from not just consumers or you know, sentiment, but actually regulation being put in place around wording and things like that to ensure that brands aren't misrepresenting themselves. So I think we made a smart choice in terms of changing the way that we um described our endeavors. Um but it's something, yeah, that we feel really passionate about. And obviously responsibility also extends to the way that we treat our team, the workers within our supply chain. It's a, a very multi-layered term, which I think represents, as I said, our ethos around a, a around our brand really
0: well yeah 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 i agree i think i think that's um um that's the great thing about the term is it firstly feels like you've actually thought about sustainability actively rather than just um you know greenwashing or 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 kind of using the terms that everyone else uses and yeah it it kind of um it has all those layers, which you said, you know, it, it talks about the the product itself and the team. I think it's much easier to understand how to be responsible than it is how to be sustainable. Sustainable, you know, is is quite abstract to, to in many terms, but being responsible is is kind of things you you, you feel um intrinsically um and also it makes me as a as a as a potential customer it makes me feel good to actually oh yeah you know i'm trying to be sustainable I, i'd love to you know attain that goal but on my journey there is just to be a bit more responsible and just be a bit more conscious about that and i think that really helped me as well so that's a it's a great term so um yeah thanks for introducing me to the to that way of thinking um so just just now we understand uh um um what Bybee is and and um, and how it came about just also interested in your two roles within the within the business it, do you do you have particularly um defined roles or do you um do you collaborate on things how, how does how do you run the business as a as a team
1: yeah I mean it's interesting because as we've said we come from a very very similar background so it's not like one of us was an investment banker and one of us was a marketing lead at L'Oreal like we we basically have the same career. <laughs> um so it it a lot of it in the early days, um, you know, I think we quite quickly recognized that it didn't make sense to double up on work and, you know, dividing and conquering was going to be absolutely necessary. Um, but a lot of it in the early days was either um based on what one of us might enjoy a little bit more, um, what one of us might feel like we're slightly better at. Um or just like what the other one wanted to do less. Like if somebody really didn't wanna do something then the other one would kind of pick it up. Um, And I guess as that's morphed as we've kind of grown into our roles, it's um, broadly speaking, we sort of own kind of slightly separate areas of the business. Dominika is more kind of operational commercial and I'm more brand marketing. Um, but there's a huge amount of crossover there because those two things don't cover every aspect of the day-to-day running of a business and as it stands right now we don't have a managing director or a general manager or anybody below us between us and our team who manage the day-to-day so we are really managing the day-to-day and kind of in the weeds of things Um, so we're both on pretty much all Calls inter- like internally and externally. um Even if one of us sits and doesn't say that much, there can be something that one of us might have in terms of an idea um, that the other wouldn't have thought of or that hadn't been kind of mentioned on the call, and then they can kind of bring that. So it's always worthwhile. I think it's we've never thought, oh goodness, I wish that we I wish that we both didn't spend our time on that call today. Like we actually, and I think that's really because we work very well together, and like we kind of you know in terms of the softer skills so not the stuff that we've learned throughout our career but in terms of like what comes innately to us and our personalities we're actually quite yin and yang and um it kind of like fits together quite nicely um so it's often just good having us both there because you get the kind of like whole picture and um yeah everybody's point of view which um so far has has worked really well um and things like this you know we always prefer to do podcasts and we do a lot of public speaking and yeah as you say you you saw me the only reason that Dominika wasn't there the day that you saw me was because she was really really sick so that's like basically the only time that you'll ever see just one of us is because the other's been like struck down with something otherwise we're always like fighting to be like even if somebody's like sorry there's only one space on the panel we're like no no like, it's definitely better with us both there and it's because you know with a duo as well you just like you bounce off each other like there's just like it's just an energy that I think like one person can't necessarily bring to the table that people really connect with and you know has got us where we are now so we just both feel much more comfortable and enjoy things much more if we're both kind of there and present and that goes from you know the weekly team meeting all the way through to doing like big yeah kind of tv or like big kind of panel panel shows it's um for us that's how we enjoy things and that's where we're best I think is together
0: yeah brilliant and when when we think about any business there's obviously a you know a customer and a kind of product or a service do you, do you feel like either one of you is kind of representing the product and representing the customer or do you kind of um do you do you, do you, do you uh share that role
2: yeah that's interesting I think I'd say yeah we very much share it. I think we both like live and breathe the brand and embody it um, And really, we created the brand as a self-serving need of wanting, not being able to find really what we were looking for. Um, So, yeah, I'd say the the brand and us individually are quite intrinsically linked. Um, So, yeah, I would say both of us.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you you feel like you are the customer? Do you feel like you are kind of, um, you know, your consumer is uh, people like you?
2: Yes. (laughs) When we describe our customer, who we've done quite a lot of research on to know, who that is it's yeah it's it's almost like looking in the mirror sometimes <laughs> but in you know that sounds really obvious like why wouldn't you create a brand that's targeted at yourself but quite a lot of people don't so they're having to step out of their own mind frame to then imagine what it's like to be a consumer that's 20 years younger than them whereas we know we really understand what our consumer needs are um and, you know, I think it makes for better product, I would say the strongest part of our brand has always been the strength of our products and how well they work and how well they service the needs of our customers. So, yeah, I think it sounds like a really obvious move, but you would be surprised that many people don't create brands that are for their own target audience.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um Great well it's I uh, I i love hearing about how businesses came about and how they run but um we are time is moving on so um I'll uh, I'll uh, get on with the questions um after we met um you guys um uh, uh started working with with the team at path so that's fantastic to be working with you guys um can you can you tell us a little bit about the kind of the, the strategic and creative challenge that you that that you have or or had that that um became a brief to us
1: yeah, this this is an interesting one. So, um, you guys' path are working on actually a, a redesign of our packaging. Um, so our packaging has been a really interesting journey, and I think like, um, the first thing that people say when they see the brand, and we got this, I mean, time and time again over, um, the weekend and last week at Bologna in Cosmoprof, um is I love the packaging. That's the first thing people say. And for the listeners, it's like a millennial pink combined with a really, really bright colour and there's gold foiling all over it. And it's just super, super bold and really colourful. And yeah, just designed initially to have your kind of, to be an enjoyable experience Um, and not necessarily be the kind of like boring, minimal sort of natural vibe that we've already spoken about, but also um, not necessarily the sort of like white clinical um, side of skincare that's quite present um, at, at the moment as well and I do, I will also say when we bought out the brand and when we designed this packaging colour in skincare wasn't very present there weren't many people doing colour it was still very very stripped back mm-hmm. The sort of Scandinavian minimalism was still very big um, so what we did back then was quite different but of course the industry has moved and come quite a long way since then mm-hmm. and it's much harder to stand out we, our competition I mean the the extent of new brands that launch in skincare every day is is actually quite shocking. Um, you know, the celebrity brands who are rolling out left, right, and center. I mean, if flipping Brad Pitt like is launching a skincare brand, you know that <laughs> you know that people are jumping on the bandwagon. Like, so you know, what we've seen is that kind of minimalist trend really shift and now there is much more colour. Um so one of the kind of tasks for us was like, how do we keep our packaging feeling relevant and still quite stand out among all of these new brands? Um, but a couple of other things, despite the fact that us getting feedback across the board about how um, positive people felt towards our packaging and how exciting and interesting and different it is, when it actually lands on shelf in a self-select retail environment so for example Holland and Barrett or for example Target in the US where you don't have a shop floor assistant guiding you through the range and obviously you don't have Dominique and I there telling you the story Um, the pack wasn't necessarily doing the job of telling the story of the brand in terms of product efficacy um, the responsibility credentials um, the integrity of the formulation Um, it was doing a good job at eye-catching, but people were maybe second-guessing it because it felt too bright or it couldn't quite be that serious skincare that they were buying from a clinical brand because it was using such crazy colours. So actually on shelf, the branding has kind of done us a little bit of a disservice in terms of helping that sell through in the absence of somebody selling the brand for us on our behalf. So we came to you guys with the brief of let's update things and make it feel modern and fresh and still stand out. So how do we take what we were doing with color back in 2017, but do it with something else now that's not happening in skincare that will really help us stand out. But how do we also make it mass and make it be able to communicate with a mass consumer because our distribution is now so much wider than it was. And we have so many more learnings about what people are taking from those first three seconds of engaging with the brand on shelf. Um, So it's actually quite a tricky brief, I would say, um, because the brand does a lot. It says a lot. And, you know, I think like there's there's only so much space you have on pack and you only have a certain amount of time with somebody who's connecting with your brand for the first time. So, yeah, the the task was sort of do a better job of explaining the brand on shelf um, and update the look and feel so that it feels more elevated, probably more premium, a little bit more grown up. So a lot of people think that we're a Gen Z brand. And we're actually not where our target audience is millennial. And those are the people that are buying the product um, and uh, talk to our environmental credentials all in one, all on the front of one, one piece of packaging. So yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. the brief that you guys have currently got.
0: Yeah, and we are working on it. So um, hopefully, yeah, yeah um, listeners will will get to see the results of that in the in the near future. But yeah, I think it's it's always a big challenge when when we when we look at packaging and and packaging versus branding. Because you kind of need branding that kind of stands out and is memorable and and pe- gets people's attention. But then you need packaging that has the right semantics to kind of lead people through what the product is and give them reassurance. And certainly, if there's a backstory about ethics as well, you know, there's a lot to um, to try and deliver in a, in, a, in a pack so hence why it's so important um but yeah it's been it's great to engage with you on that challenge um and looking forward to the results um just to, for a bit of context um are you able to kind of to, to to let us know how you worked previously and and what what made you decide to work um with an agency like path
1: yeah i think
2: we've always been um quite fluid in the way that we worked we we have worked with a lot of our previous agencies really driven by relationships and um kind of their passion for the brand mm-hmm. we haven't always um kind of selected agencies based on their pure credentials it's it's very much been a chemistry fit um And, you know, we've taken on some agencies that aren't necessarily kind of specialists in beauty consumer packaging. So that's why there's elements of the pack that feel really different um, and really stand out. But as I said, there's a point where you also have to kind of make it a little bit more um, conventional in order just to for the ease of use of consumers and the ease of shopping of consumers Mm. so i think we've still been kind of like balancing that of like wanting to look really cool and different but you know still very shoppable Mm. um and then again i think you know the relationship with path is very relationship sorry two two relationships there the partnership with path is very relationship driven yep. um, and there's a great chemistry fit with the team and I think mm-hmm. they really get what we're trying to achieve yeah. you know branding is a very iterative subjective process um, and it requires patience from both sides because it's you know it's really difficult to kind of get right on the first go and it is it tends to be a, a real kind of immersive process for the branding agency to get in our heads and also um, for us to be able to clearly articulate what we're trying to achieve, um, it's not that easy to kind of just put pen to paper and have like a very clear outcome. So I think that's why the relationship and communication is so so key with any agency. Yeah. But I think you know the work that Path has done has been so impressive in in that you know solidifying ourselves as a really mainstream consumer brand um and that's what what that is the goal of this round of packaging so it felt like a really good fit
0: yeah brilliant thanks for that um well unfortunately time is ticking and uh we have so many more questions to get to get through but um uh and and with with two of you answering, it's it's fantastic. I think what I'll do is is I'll um I'll uh, group our next question um, together all as one, which is really about kind of um, a, as an agency path. You know, we as you know we we help design um, brands sort of through experience and expression. Um, but what we're also interested in is is the kind of challenges and opportunities that drive you know the briefs that are behind um what we do um so i'm interested in kind of a, a kind of thought perhaps on, on what might be the, the big kind of challenges or, or big opportunities for your brand um and or, or 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 industry um but ultimately what we're trying to drive out of this conversation is the kind of big wish the kind of big demand you know and almost if you could if you could wish for anything anything is possible demand more from design you know what what would that wish be um, and how could um, sort of designers deliver that? So I know that's that's a lot to ask, but maybe from either of you, maybe a challenge, an opportunity, or, or maybe what that big wish might be.
1: I mean, to be honest, kind of nods to what I have already said about our challenge. For me, the if I could wave a magic wand, if a designer can nail um, speaking to you know in our case the broadest possible audience right our whole aim of design redesigning packaging is to reach more people to attract more people mm-hmm. like there's nothing fundamentally wrong with the packaging as it is it functions it works it's not that's not what we're trying to um solve for it's it, it's growing our brand that's mm-hmm. that is the ultimate aim of this this project so if a designer could um put together something that spoke to as wide an audience as possible so it was as as i guess universally appealing as possible within the con constraints of our target audience so that could speak to every millennial woman thinking about buying something in skincare uh, but that could deliver something that they'd never seen before that for me is the like is the like gold dust and Mm -hmm. the brands that do it do do it very well um but it's still, I guess, it has to have a a degree of familiar familiarity, familiarity, familiar, 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 familiar familiarity. God, that word right.
0: <laughs> It's hard to say. <laughs> familiarity, yeah. Familiarity.
1: <laughs> um, it's for people to connect with it, right? So this is where it gets nuanced. It's like if it looks too different, then people won't think it's skincare, or it's too it's too much of a leap. So it needs to cue everything that it needs to cue visually. But if what I think is just so important is delivering a design that feels fresh and not seen before, because that that goes leaps and bounds in terms of being able to stand out in, as I've said, what is like such a cluttered environment for us um, in terms of our peers and new brands coming to market. So I think that is the, like, that's definitely like our key problem and what, what path are kind of working on at the moment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Dominica, would you agree with that? Anything to add?
1: yes
2: i agree wholeheartedly <laughs>
0: fantastic
2: Couldn't <And laughs> have said that, it better myself
0: <laughs> yeah brilliant well that's, that's that's great for our uh great for our timing and i think that's um you know that's that's a key to you know to you know one of the challenges we face in, in certainly in innovation is that familiarity exactly as you said you know that people understand what it is and they they feel safe and they can recognize it but that kind of intrigue and 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 um uh newness and novelty that allows people to kind of get excited about something so yeah so exactly that's um a, a challenge that we uh we we're, we're hopefully able to deliver but it's um good something good good for designers to think about it like that great so um it's been great to chat to you we 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 coming to the end of our time so i have got a few closing questions for you and they they're more um just about you guys um uh personally and perhaps your um your kind of Best piece of advice, or your kind of motto that you kind of live by at the moment, um, and then after that, perhaps some uh, things that you are reading or listening to, or um, have seen recently that you might recommend to our to our listeners for a bit of follow up. So, Elsie, what 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 might be your best piece of advice, or your kind of motto that you live by?
1: Um, I think like probably. Um my motto is kind of like change to be honest like they because there's always a new drama for us as as founders um I think probably the the couple at the moment that like really resonate um we came up with this like last year and we were quite proud of this one every mistake is an opportunity um we like wholeheartedly believe in that because we make a lot of mistakes but actually when viewed with the right lens they uh, they compose as a pretty good opportunity and you a good founder would will, will sniff out that opportunity um and then like sleep on it it won't feel as dramatic in the morning like that, that that also just like we you get used to fighting so many fires as a founder and and i think um yeah just like honestly things won't be like aren't as bad as they f- appear when they first when they first crop up and again a good founder will learn that quite quickly and deal with and it helps you to deal with things in like a calm and measured manner
0: yeah great great and i'm, I'm getting i'm understanding your duo now you're perfectly balanced in t- the way you're answering these questions so dominica do you want to take the uh do you agree with that answer and do you want to take the next question or have you got something to add
2: I I think another one to add, which we have, I guess, had to educate ourselves is like the success isn't like a final destination. There's not a moment where you're like, right, I'm successful. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a, a unfolding to a point where suddenly, you know, there have certain been certain things that have been successful. And yeah, I don't think reaching for this kind of holy grail of like, Success is necessarily the right way to run a business. Um, so yeah, because the goalposts also keep changing, right? So yeah. you might two two years ago, success for us might have been something. And then you have to kind of pivot adjust, and then, but you know, we probably hit that milestone, but by the time we got there, the the goalposts had moved further. So I think, yeah, not looking as success as an end destination as, yeah. but more of as part of the journey, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. We've definitely learned along the way, along
0: the way. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I think you've, yeah, you've encapsulated those, those things that founders really need to, to have is that, you know, resilience and ability to flex and yeah, take on everything, all the, all the inputs and kind of work you have to do are opportunities and, but there's lots of stress that so you need to have ways to deal with that. And, and, and like you say, you know, there's always a, a another, another kind of destination to, um, to, to, To aim for on the on the success journey so great um so yeah last but not least um obviously we'll all check out beautyinsiders.com cleanbeautyinsiders.com sorry as a a further reading and listening is there is there anything else you'd um you guys are listening to or enjoying at the moment that you uh, would recommend
1: um there are always good there's always some like good podcasts in our industry there are like there's like um the kind of like glossy podcast the glossy beauty podcast like um if you wanna yeah if you wanna engage with founder stories there are some quite good one um I don't know what actually the founder um of Fable and Mame which is like a kind of um they've they've sort of shot to success hair care brand um Akash i don't know what his podcast is actually called but he's interviewed some like pretty impressive yeah. founders as well but you know what i would say is that um and this kind of follows on from dominica's point about like what is success and how's it measured and like sometimes listening to podcasts that are, are talk too much about everybody else's success can can make you feel like it highlights your own failures Um, so you know I like to dip into our kind of industries um, founder content um, as and when I need a bit of motivation I want to listen to like a little bit of a founder story like I just Mm. yeah I want to hear a little bit bit of a journey but I think sometimes like getting too stuck into it can make you quite like inwardly facing about your own industry and comparing yourself to people's milestones that are probably like wildly different when contextualized to your own Um, so sometimes I think like diving too far into those types of podcasts can actually be like not that healthy yeah. um so yeah. everything in moderation
0: yeah absolutely absolutely dominique are you listening to stuff outside of the industry as well or what 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 do you, what do you do for a break
2: Yeah I'm really I really sometimes try to listen to stuff outside of the industry um, (laughs) just to kind of give myself a bit of a mental break sometimes when you listen to too many business podcasts they also tend to be quite repetitive as well I mean definitely all the ones that Elsie called out but I think just you know also just taking a step back and um, put you know testing your mind in other ways is also so really important so like just with all the kind of financial ongoings these days I'm spending a lot of time reading and trying to understand the like macro financial climates again you know obviously relative to us but not on a day-to-day basis but kind of just taking my my head out of the day-to-day kind of running about business and um and also just taking a bit of downtime so when I'm doing some podcasting sometimes it's just you know nice docu-series and things like that so yeah yeah
0: Yeah. but yeah
2: I'd say from a business perspective I will see kind of covered covered
0: them yeah great great well fantastic it's um, been lovely to talk to you time has flown by um, but thanks very much for uh, a little bit of an insight into um, you know how you guys uh, started how you you guys met and how you started out and, and the business and the challenges going forward so yeah we look forward to um, continuing to work with you, and, and thanks for your time here. Um, we'll uh, post any references you made to, um, uh, to to links and so forth in in the podcast notes. And um, thank you very much.
1: Sounds great. Thank you so much for having us.
0: You have been listening to Every Dimension, brought to you by Path. Join in the conversation on LinkedIn using the hashtag #EveryDimension or on Instagram at We Are Path. For more information on how we design brands better in every dimension, please visit wearepath.com forward slash Here, you'll find all our other podcasts and 20 years of experience helping brands diagnose opportunities and challenges then designing identity, experience, and innovation to deliver on them. This podcast is created and produced by PATH. If you have enjoyed this podcast, why not leave us a review on Spotify or iTunes? Thank you.